So by now, I feel very confident in thinking that uh, everyone here has experienced some ups and some downs on this retreat, the peaks and the valleys, and then everything, of course, that lies in between. And I think oftentimes when we come into retreat, uh, most of us, um, we come in thinking about the peaks, the benefits, the joys of, of what it's like to be peaceful and experience uh, that quiet happiness, uh, just being unplugged for this period of time. I think for, for a lot of you, that was really exciting, especially uh, right now. Um, just kind of sick of, of all of the, the tweets and the, the Facebook and uh, the media and whatnot. So just to be able to be away from that. And so we focus on all this, uh, the positive coming in, probably what gets us here. And um, I know that some of you have sat many retreats, so you know that, yes, there are the peaks, but there are also the valleys. Um, but perhaps we, we don't really focus on that uh, when we come in. And then we get here. And we have those first few days. Or maybe it's, you know, all the way up until right this moment. And we're, we experience dukkha. We experience um, pain and maybe stress uh, in our mind, in our body, discomfort not being satisfied about something, how things are going. It's uncomfortable. Dukkha. And then, of course, we layer it on top of that of, you know, it shouldn't be going this way. Um, last, my last retreat, it was so much better. I remember it went this way. Why isn't it going that way this time? Something must be wrong. That person in front of me stays so still. I'm so sick of it. <laughs> and this is just this is just kind of how it goes. It's familiar territory to to all of us. That's for sure. So when we come and we practice, we have to sit in the dukkha. Dukkha uh, is a Pali word that um, is often translated into suffering, uh, sometimes translated to stress, um, unsatisfactoriness. I, I like that word. I also like, um, as a visual and also just a, a feel of dukkha, as being friction. I think of dukkha as friction coming up against what's actually happening in the moment. It feels that way. We just can't quite settle into the discomfort. We just would do anything to have it otherwise. And so we're not in the flow of life. We are coming up against it, and it's kind of like this. Very uncomfortable, dukkha. So we wait, and we pray <laughs> that it's going to change. And we work really hard. And sometimes we don't work so hard. We give up. Then we come back and um, feel defeated. And it shouldn't, you know, maybe I'm not doing it right. 
So again, this is just the territory of retreat. You're not alone. You're in such good company here. And the reason we're here is because of this first noble truth, there is dukkha. And this dukkha arises because of our clinging, uh, our wanting, our um, ignorance, our not understanding how things really are. That it's, it's self-created and, we, and we're done with it. We're sick of it. It's what, it's, it is actually what got us here in some way. We want the positive. We were thinking about that. But it's in uh, relationship with not wanting the suffering anymore. We're sick of it. We want something different. And so this is what the Buddha taught. He taught the truth about suffering and he taught the way to the end of suffering. And so we're here actually to be with that suffering as much as we don't really want it to be here and we wish it to be otherwise. It's actually part of the whole awakening experience. It's not separate. And this awakening experience um, is leading towards the cessation of this dukkha. This is, I'm hoping I'm saying his name right, Nyanaka Panakatera. Nyana Panakatera. Uh, this is a commentary on, uh, from his ta- commentaries on dukkha. And he says that unshakable deliverance of the mind is the highest goal in the Buddhist doctrine. Here, deliverance means freeing of the mind from all limitations, fetters, and bonds that tie it to the wheel of suffering. And this wheel of suffering that he's talking about, uh, this is the wheel of samsara, this repetitive dukkha-creating machine that we're all uh, in. It's like we're, we're in the dryer and spin cycle, and we're just being thrown around and spun around by it. Um, and there's nobody here is out of that dryer. <laughs> you know, we're all in it. Some of us, maybe we're looking a little shinier than others, but um, the reality is we're, we're in it. We're not completely free yet. But this is where we're going. This is why we're here. So sometimes um, when we're on retreat and we are turning and looking at our, our dukkha and actually practicing with it, um, you know, this is the instruction, right? To come back, come back to the moment, whatever arises, um, and to, to see, to look clearly at what's actually arising, even when it's uncomfortable. And so that's the instruction. And sometimes it's like, well, how could I do anything else? It's all there is, is, you know, it's sleepiness and it's aversion and it's wanting and it's agitation and it's doubt and it's all right there in my face. There's nowhere to hide. Um, This is a hindrance attack, you know, perhaps. I know that uh, one retreat pops into my mind uh, that was a true dukkha retreat. You can have a dukkha retreat. it was, it was so painful for the first, it was for four weeks, and for the first two weeks uh, was my dukkha retreat experiencing everything as 
unsatisfactory. I, it was on the East Coast. It had just snowed before I got there. I don't hate snow, but I am, I'm a California girl. <laughs> and just looking at the little piles of snow that was left that hadn't melted yet, um, just these little glaciers that were around, oh God, I hate this. And I'd walk into the meditation hall and it would be really quiet and I'd sit down and that would be really great. But then someone else would sit down and they'd start to sniffle or they'd start to cough or they're wrestling around and with their blanket. And it's just, oh, I hate people. <laughs> and then I'd walk to my walking path and I'd be walking and, oh, this is so boring. I don't know why I'm doing this. And I don't even like this walking path. I'll go lay down and I'd go lay down and I hate this bed. <laughs> It's too hard. They need new mattresses. Why? I paid money for this retreat. Like, where is it going? It's not going into the mattresses. And the food, which wasn't much different from here, it's just everything. It was the lens that I was, I was looking through. And I was restless and agitated, and I, I wanted everything that wasn't there, and I didn't want everything that was offered. Uh, it was really painful. And there was no turning away from it. There was no turning away from the dukkha, which had its benefits in the end. I had to really get to know all of these hindrances intimately. I had no option. So I don't wish that upon anybody. <laughs> but it was, um, it was actually a really great retreat. And I, and there were things that deepened, understandings that deepened that wouldn't have otherwise. That was just my karma. I had to go through, through that. But then there's other retreats where, you know, there's hindrances and they come up and they go and you, you got enough momentum going with your mindfulness and some concentrations thrown in there and you're feeling pretty good. And then, you know, maybe a little restlessness comes up and you know how to combat it. You know how to kind of like put it aside. I don't really need to go there. And then maybe some aversion comes up and um, maybe you just throw a little meta at it and keep going. And, and you're just kind of pushing things to the side just to stay in that rut of, you know, everything's okay. And we reach for our bag of coping mechanisms, and I'll just go have a cup of tea. Not for any reason, I just kind of deserve it. And, you know, that last sit, I, that was, you know, that was good enough. I'm going to go have a cup of tea, or I'll just go for a nice walk. Not for any reason, I'm not avoiding anything or anything. It's just, you know, the sun's out, when will the sun out come out again? I have no idea. They keep talking about impermanence. I guess they mean I should go to, for a walk and enjoy the sun. And, you know, so we start to find ways to start avoiding uh, the dukkha in these really clever ways. It seems really rational and perhaps even wise. But what we're actually asking you to do is to turn towards the dukkha when it arises. You don't have to go looking for it. It'll come. It'll come. But when it does arise, we're asking you to actually be with it in a skillful way, but to, in fact, get to know it, get to be intimate with it. Because the deal is, um, there's the dukkha that leads to more dukkha, right? That, that 
wheel of samsara that's fueled by our not understanding and our ignorance. And then there's the dukkha that leads to awakening. Our dukkha is not separate from the awakening process. That took me a long time to really understand. It was always in my head, dukkha bad, enlightenment good. (laughs) And that's how I operated in my practice in the early days. Understandably, you know, as, as human beings, we are wired to move away from the discomfort. You know, this is a survival mechanism, and it can be really helpful. You know, uh, if there's a beehive in the tree next to us, we're not going to go up and give it a big bear hug and feel like, I want to be with you. <laughs> we're going to back off, right, and, you know, take another path. So this is, this is you know, this is how we're, we're wired. So it's really um, counterintuitive in this practice when we're saying, no, we want you to give it that big, not, not the beehive in you know, real life, but the dukkha. We want you to actually be there with it. This is hard. This is what makes this uh, a radical practice. It's so against everything that we're told in our day-to-day life. Go for pleasant. Pleasant uh, is going to equal ultimate happiness. If we line enough pleasant moments and experiences, we will be happy. Uh, Stay away from the stuff that makes us uncomfortable. So it goes against the fibers in our being to stay with, stay steady with the dukkha. But that's what we're asking you to do. How can you be there and stay steady with the dukkha? So here's a poem that will most likely be familiar to many of you. It's called The Little Duck by Donald Babcock. Now we're ready to look at something pretty special. It is a duck riding the ocean a hundred feet beyond the surf. No, it isn't a gull. A gull always has a ridiculous touch about him. This is some sort of duck and he cuddles in the swells. He isn't cold, and he is thinking things over. There is a big heaving in the Atlantic, and he is part of it. He looks a little bit like a Mandarin, or the Lord Buddha meditating under the bow tree. But he is hardly enough above the eyes to be a philosopher. He has poise, however, which is what philosophers must have. He can rest while the Atlantic heaves because he rests in the Atlantic. Probably he doesn't know how large the ocean is, and neither do you, but he realizes it. And what does he do, I ask you? He sits down in it. He reposes in the immediate as if it were infinite, which it is. He has made himself a part of the boundless by easing himself into just where it touches him. I like the little duck. He doesn't know much, but he's got religion. So this poem is probably overused over time in Dharma talks. 
but I share it with you because I remember hearing it for the first time uh, on retreat, a retreat like this, and it had a big influence on me. Um, its message really stuck with me that our dukkha is not separate from our awakening. We are sitting down in it, just like this little duck. We are staying, finding ways to stay steady within the experience of, of suffering, discomfort, not wanting, restlessness, doubt. We're cuddling the swells. We're riding the heaving of the Atlantic. And we can do that. We have the capacity. Here's another one. This is by Jennifer Wellwood called Unconditional. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within me. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me. And because itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence, I bow to the one who has made it so, who has crafted this master game. To play it is a pure delight. To honor its form, true devotion. So we, we know this from time. We know this from experience that when we go through something that is painful, that's difficult, something we thought we'd never survive, and then we do, it transforms us. It makes us into the people who we are today. We wouldn't be the people we are today without all of those valleys and, as well as the peaks. We're transformed by our suffering, or we can be, if we can find a way to stay with it, to really see it and learn from it, not be so ruled by it. Aren't you sick of being ruled by it? So that's what we're doing. But how do we do that, really? You know, we bring in our mindfulness and our concentration all the work that we're doing here, all the instructions is uh, for this purpose. We bring in our, our mindfulness practice, our concentration. We use right effort. We practice non-harming. We start to be able to see through wise view what's really true, what's not so true. And from that, we start to wisely focus our aspiration to awaken more and more. But that might be easier said than done. Again, how do we stay with? What can keep us there as opposed to running away or finding a way to avoid it? 
So one of the ways that I've found has been um, just a, a, a deep friend in the Dharma for my own practice and development is that of compassion, the practice of compassion. So I don't know if everyone will be able to see, um, but on the back altar there, if, if, you haven't, if you can't see it, maybe you've seen it in passing as you go out the doors. And if you haven't taken a good look at her, go take a look. Uh, the Bodhisattva that sits on the back aisle, our altar back there, in that real easeful, reclined <laughs> posture. Um, this is a symbol of, uh, of a great bodhisattva, uh, bodhisattva of compassion. Bodhisattvas are said to be beings who are very, very awa- awake, but um, instead of fully awakening, uh, they hold back a little bit so that they can aid all beings everywhere in their awakening. So these are beings of great, great compassion. And if you take a look at her as you go by, um, you'll see the posture is really stunning. It's very relaxed, it's very open, uh, receptive, ready. There's a readiness. And I think that that demonstrates the possibility of bringing in this compassion, uh, the strength of compassion uh, toward our suffering or even the suffering of others. This is how we can actually stay steady in the whirlwind of our hindrances or the whirlwind of uh, dukkha. So uh, compassion is one of the uh, Brahma-viharas. These are the divine abodes of the heart. Um, You learned metta earlier today. This is one of the Brahma-viharas. Metta-karuna is the Pali word for compassion. Mudita is that of sympathetic joy. And upekka is equanimity. So those are probably familiar because um, they are the names of your uh, dorm lodges. So you're living in the divine abodes over there, if you didn't know that. <laughs> so these are, these are states of the heart and mind uh, when, there's, um, when there isn't this sense of selfishness or certainly hatred or delusion. These are states that you find yourself in when you're feeling freer when there's uh, a peacefulness, a clarity. These states naturally arise. Uh, They are the natural inclination of the heart and mind when the heart and mind is not fettered. It's really quite beautiful that this is actually more towards our natural state, these, these 
for heart uh, states, divine abodes. So compassion is one of them. And compassion, when we're experiencing true compassion, we know because uh, of its purity. It's not leaning into its near enemy of pity. Sometimes we get um, confused between compassion and pity. Pity has this tone of separateness between myself and another. Oh, that's too bad. Um, Almost as if their suffering could never be my suffering. So this is not true compassion. True compassion is said to be the quivering of the heart when in response to dukkha, in response to suffering. The quivering of the heart. It's, it's a recognition that your suffering uh, is not different from my suffering or that my suffering is not different from yours. You might be suffering today and I might be suffering tomorrow. That this is part of the human experience that we're all experiencing together. We have this delusion that there's all this separateness, but um, it's not true. And so compassion allows us to bridge that, those gaps between each other, allowing this freedom of the heart to feel, actually, to feel uh, with someone who is struggling instead of creating a separation. The act of pity, I think, is often born out of fear. We pity others because we don't really want to see it. We don't really want to touch that dukkha. It's too much. It's too scary. Another near enemy that's not in the classical text, but I I feel fits well here, is overwhelm. It's almost the other side where we are leaning in too much. That quivering turns into shaking, and um, we've suddenly taken on somebody's suffering, and we're just overwhelmed. We're no longer in compassion. Uh, There's a tightness that arises. There's a burnout that can often happen. This is not true compassion either. Uh, And it's easy to slip in either one, on either side. And then, of course, the far enemy is cruelty. And cruelty um, uh, being not only um, the far enemy, but uh, that which I think compassion is, in a way... Um, in response to. We can respond to the world's cruelty and the cruelty within ourself. When we sit here and we experience something that's unpleasant and we start to beat ourselves up about it, when we start to um, blame people in our history or um, start to... uh, even not want it there in a way... That, that aversion of pushing it away, there's, there's um, that tightness that arises. And compassion starts to melt these um, aversions and um, separations that we, that we create in our mind related to the dukkha that we're experiencing in the moment. So 
So I, I thought I'd lead you through a little bit of compassion practice. And it's similar to the metta practice. Um, we can cultivate compassion. Again, it does come up naturally for us when there's a freedom in the heart. When we see suffering, it just naturally uh, is inclined towards compassion. But we can also cultivate it. And so if you find yourself in a comfortable position, you don't have to um, move very much. So if you're reclining a little bit, that's okay. You can stay there. But I would like you to close your eyes. And just think about how it's gone so far for you on this retreat. You don't have to be looking for um, major dukkha. To, you, know, you don't have to bring it into this moment, but just to reflect on uh, the moments that were more difficult. So just taking time to remember them. And as you do, see if there's wisdom that can actually observe the situation now. Observe what you were going through. And from this place of wisdom, seeing if there is some sense of care. I care about this experience of suffering that I experienced. I care about myself having gone through it. See if there can be a tenderness for yourself. Perhaps there's even a feeling of forgiveness if you were feeling resentful towards yourself or blaming yourself, judging yourself in some way. Just like in the metta practice, we can use phrases that help to open the heart and hope to help to meet the dukkha in a tender, kind way. To be able to stay there with it, not trying to get rid of it, but just to stay there with it. Phrases may be something like, this is difficult, this is dukkha. May I stay open even with this difficulty. May I experience peace and acceptance. May I allow myself to soften, to ease into this difficulty. It could even be something like, uh, I love you, saying that to yourself. Sometimes that's what's needed. These parts of ourselves that are hurting, 
needing our own love. They've been abandoned or neglected in some way. Getting in touch for your real true care and love for yourself. It might even be something like, I forgive you. Or forgive me. I see some of you putting a hand on your heart or on your belly, and this is a really helpful way to also stay open, stay with the difficulty, if that's what's coming up with for you. And then we can move that in the direction of other people. Perhaps there's someone connected to the dukkha you've been experiencing. Or perhaps they're not creating dukkha for you, but it's someone you know who is suffering quite a bit and they've been on your mind. So bringing this particular person, it could also be a group of people. finding through wisdom what is the phrase that best meets the situation that allows your heart to open and allows your awareness to stay steady with the difficulty, with the suffering. Sometimes words aren't even necessary. There's just this felt sense And then, of course, there may be those who we're not ready to open to. Or maybe their suffering is just so deep that we're not ready to touch it. And when that's the case, to notice your relationship with that. Is there some self-judgment or um, some feeling of inadequacy around that? And then to bring your compassion to that, to that part of yourself that either you're not ready or it's not even appropriate. Maybe this is someone where the hurt is still happening and it's just not time. And so you go back to yourself.
So this is a practice that you can weave into um, your mindfulness practice that you've been learning here as a way, as a means to stay with the moment in the face of difficulty. So it's not actually separate from what we've been doing here. It's not, it can be a separate practice. There's whole retreats actually where this is the main focus. But the idea here is to integrate this practice with your mindfulness practice so it becomes actually the same thing. I don't really see much of a difference between the two these days in my own practice. And so as we uh, cultivate this here, you know, all this, this inner work, the beauty of compassion is what it then offers when we go back out into the world. When we come back into contact with the suffering that's happening around us, I can think of many, uh, many beings who are who fit this idea of the bodhisattva, working for the benefit of others, working for justice, creating a world of non-harming through their own actions and speech, and this comes from a deep place of compassion, I'm sure of it. And so we can be moved by this practice to bring more of the, uh, the peace that we wish to see in the world, but to do it without denying the dukkha around us. It prepares us to step in to the suffering. It gives us the strength we need and the staying power that's necessary. And if you've ever been touched by someone, somebody's compassion, yourself, when you were in a difficult time, you might remember just the lasting impact that has. When we, when we act out of compassion towards somebody else, it's so impactful. When we're there in somebody's desperate time of need. And so perhaps you can think of a time where that was really true for you. There's a memory that comes to my mind when I was thinking about all of this. Uh, there's a memory that came to mind that Every now and then it pops into memory. I don't, I hadn't thought about it though for some time. And it, it was like I was there. Uh, it happened when I was 16. I was very angry and confused. Teenager. Uh, very, lots of dukkha. Lots of dukkha. Uh, dukkha for myself, dukkha for everyone around me, just hating everything, so much unsatisfactoriness. And um, there was one day where I had had enough, and I walked out the front door with very little with me, and I just kept walking. And I kept walking, and I kept walking, and I had decided I'm going to get on the next bus. 
I walked to whatever bus stop was, was in my direction, and I sat there, and I decided I was going to get on the next bus, and I was leaving. I was leaving town. I was running away. And I'd never done anything like this. And I remember sitting on this bus stop, at this bus stop on the bench by myself. This is back in um, uh, Michigan. And uh, it's fall time. Uh, Leaves are falling. It's cold. I'm crying. I'm so desperate. The dukkha is so overpowering. I'm completely overwhelmed by my suffering with no hope, just none. And I'll do anything to escape it. I'm sitting on this bench and I'm just, the tears are pouring. And this group of older kids, so I was 16, they were probably in their 20s, maybe early 20s, came by and um, I, I just kind of put my head down and I didn't want to be seen, I didn't want to be bothered, and was a little embarrassed because here I was kind of, I don't know, a mess, (laughs) a hot mess, (laughs) sitting on this bench. And um, they came over and immediately asked if I was okay and if I was in trouble and if I wanted to go with them. And um, I just said, no, 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 and I, I didn't look up. And this one girl, young girl, came up, and all she did was lean over and kiss my forehead. And to this day, it brings in emotion and teariness. It was such a beautiful act of compassion to me. Uh, In fact, that it happened and then they walked away. I never saw them again. I have no idea who they were. I have no idea who she was. But that simple act of compassion, of deep care and willingness to come and, and actually physically in this, in this story, connect with my pain, it turned everything around. I, in fact, I literally got up and turned around. I didn't get on the bus. And I walked home in a complete daze. Like my whole world that I thought I understood as being awful and no hope suddenly had this bright light of something. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that it was bigger than the dukkha that I was experiencing. Just that simple act. If we all could touch each other with compassion, just one other person, and create the ripple effects of that type of love and willingness to be in this together, I don't know, this world might be unrecognizable in the best way. So while you're here, you're doing that work internally. And then when you're not here, this work will follow you. So why don't we just take a moment to sit and let the 
words pass through. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.